Welcome to This Week in California Education. I'm Louis Friedberg. And I'm John Fensterwald. Well, we're now into the second month of 2020, and tens of thousands of high school juniors around California and many more around the country are bracing to take the SAT or ACT as they contemplate their college futures. And the University of California has been under huge pressure to abandon the use of those tests as an admissions requirement. And this week, an influential faculty task force that UC President Janet Napolitano had requested be set up by the Academic Senate came out with a report, a massive report, and uh, I, I think very influential report, recommending that UC continue to use the SAT and ACT in admissions. It came as quite a surprise to me that they would do that because a bunch of pretty heavy hitters at the university in leadership positions had reached the conclusion that UC should abandon the test. John, what were your reactions to the report? Well, Lewis, it's an important issue because African-American students and Latinos are underrepresented at UC. And so the faculty committee spent a year studying the issue, and they took an extensive look at the data to see how much test scores contribute to the disparities in the admissions process. And what they found was that scores caused very little harm. And yes, that was a surprise to me. To shed some light on this issue, we are happy to have on the line our own Larry Gordon, who's been covering the issue for EdSource and covered it for many years at the LA Times before he came to EdSource. Welcome, Larry. Thank you, Lewis. Glad to be here. Were you surprised by what the faculty task force recommended? Actually, Lewis, I was not surprised. I mean, it would have been an incredible revolution to go in the other direction, In certain ways, the faculty at the University of California and academia throughout are fairly cautious. This report is extremely well-researched and extremely well-documented with lots of studies and lots of data, and it's trying to provide a very kind of sober, analytic response to a pretty emotional issue. A lot of people hate the SAT, feel not only their own lives and many other people's lives have been hampered by the SAT and the ACT. And this is a very kind of academic approach that I was not surprised about. You know, they really dove deeply into the numbers. Yeah, it's a couple of hundred page report. But I mean, they had some pretty heavy hitters who had come out against these tests. I mean, the chancellor at UC Berkeley, the provost of the system, and of course, many groups, civil rights and other groups are putting a lot of pressure on the university to abandon those tests. And I guess the pressure will continue. Right. I mean, there is political pressure. And in effect, the faculty report pushed back with studies contending that there actually is very little discriminatory, if at all, effect by the test. And in fact, you know, they seem to say that these tests are actually helping some low-income Latino and black kids who might otherwise be lost in the uh, crunch of, of admission numbers. They also say that very little of the uh, reasons that that young people do not get into the UC have anything at all to do with the tests, that the overwhelming amount, 75% of the factors all have to do with what happens in high school well before the test, or even in elementary school. And they make the case, which really came as a surprise to me, a pretty strong case, again, citing research, that the test scores are actually a better indicator 
of success, particularly for these underrepresented minority students. They do, and they go into quite depth into tracking the numbers and correlating the SAT scores of Latino, Black, and low-income students for their GPAs at freshman year at the University of California for their long-term graduation rates. You know, on the other hand, they also talk about what the opponents say, let's rely more on high school GPA. And they say that in a, in a gigantic application pool, in a gigantic state like California and even the nationwide pool, there's so much room for differences in how GPAs are calculated at high schools, so much room for grade inflation, and even, you know, for corruption. The background of this has been the recent gigantic Varsity Blues scandal. They touch on that lightly, but they say, well, you know, if you think that there's something wrong with the SAT, wait until just the high schools become the only arbiters of these kids' credentials. You think about payoffs to certain colleges. I mean, the payoffs to high school counselors could be coming down the pike. Seems to be the implicit message. Well, Larry, let's step back just a bit. There is a two-step process for admission into UC. Explain how that works and how tests enter into each level. There is what they call eligibility. And eligibility means that you have the right, if you meet this criteria, to, to land someplace in the University of California. It doesn't mean you're going to get into Berkeley or UCLA. It might mean that you're going to Merced. But what, there are two ways to get into that. One is to be within the top 10% or so statewide based on GPA and test scores. But the other one, which is really interesting, is called eligibility by local context. That means within your high school that you score, your GPA alone puts you in the top 9% of your high school. It has nothing to do with test scores. So people seem to forget about this, that there are a way for kids to become eligible for the University of California without their test scores even being counted, although they do have to take the test scores into account when they judge where which campus they're going to be at. So this report says, okay, if you want to have somewhat less emphasis on the test scores, let's boost up the share of students who become eligible within local context, within their local high school. So let's maybe make it from 9% to 12%. So that means you know, 12% of the students at a low-income school in Oakland would be eligible, as well as the 12% of the students at, you know, some fancy prep school in L.A.'s west side. Other than the 9%, they still let you into the system based on test scores and grades, right? You still have to take the SAT or the ACT for deciding which campus you go to. The second step is when the applications go to the campuses, and the, the campuses hold what they call comprehensive review. In some places, they call it holistic review, where they take the grades and test scores, but also look at many other factors, you know, obviously extracurriculars, low-income status, what hardships a, a student may have faced, their essays, their family circumstances, things like that. So it's not absolutely cut and dry. And what this report says is that by the time all of those levels of review are done. Very little handicap is put on students who are low-income, Latino, or black. You also have been covering CSU, the California State University, which has 23 campuses. I think there's some feeling that, now this is a big deal, that if UC moved away from using these tests, the CSU might do the same thing? I think so. I mean, there, it, it's very difficult in, in the state at high schools to try to push kids to take the test when many of them are applying to both systems. So, yeah, it would be influential. And not only influential in California, 
it would be hugely influential nationwide. University of California is a gigantic system. It's a prestigious system. And it would be a big blow to the uh, testing companies as well. One of the things that this task force puts on the table is that UC might actually develop its own test over the next 10 years or so. That was something that did surprise me. It seemed to be asking the university to step up, become its own test creator. And God knows how that would work out. They gave themselves nine years to possibly do that. So, Larry, the compromise some people thought was to go test optional, and it would be your choice. But they recommended against that, too. Why is that? Yeah, because test optional is, in effect, the same as no tests. Either you have everybody submit or you don't in their viewpoint. Well, Larry, how do you think that this recommendation will be received by the faculty senate that will vote on this? I think it'll be well received by the full faculty, but the next step and the really crucial step after that in May is at the UC Board of Regents. There's some really big skeptics against the test. But Larry, do you really think that the regents would go against what the faculty task force recommended? I mean, it would be pretty rare for the University Board of Regents to go against a faculty report in the way the sort of constitutional setup is of the university. Faculty is sort of given uh, more control over matters of curriculum and admissions. But you never know. I mean, there is a huge amount of political pressure to get rid of the test. Okay. Well, Larry, thanks so much. Thank you. Great to be with you. Well, John, as you know, the faculty report is met with a lot of skepticism, if not outright rejection by lots of critics. There are a couple of lawsuits that are still in place to force the university to stop using these tests. Those lawsuits will continue. And one of the organizations that's opposed the test is the Campaign for College Opportunity, an advocacy group based in L.A. that has a statewide focus. We're pleased to have on the line Michelle Sikeros. She's president of the Campaign for College Opportunity. Welcome, Michelle. Thank you for having me. So, Michelle, you and your organization have been pretty vocal about opposing the use of these tests. I'm wondering if you were disappointed with this faculty report? I was disappointed. I think, if anything, Lewis, the admission scandal from last year showed the extent of cheating that some wealthy parents will go to. But the larger issue, I believe, is the legal way we accept fueling a billion-dollar industry of college prep that does nothing to recognize real aptitude, rather to legally teach students how to game the test. You know, my own daughter, I was able to hire a tutor to help her prepare for the SAT. And clearly what we learned is that she was learning tips for how to take the test, for narrowing down the right answer when you don't know it. You know, several years ago, the SAT took aptitude off its name. I think maybe it was a recognition that aptitude is not at all what it measures. And it's about time the University of California recognized that too. Michelle, I read the report, and it acknowledged that there's a correlation for sure between wealth and scores, but they also said it was a good predictor of how well students would do in their first year, and they also said it didn't appear that it was a significant barrier to admissions in the comprehensive review that they do. Tell me, do you disagree with those findings? Well, there is comprehensive review where there's a, you know, 14-point process by which the UC reviews applicants. But before you even get to that point, you have to meet the system eligibility based on GPA and the SAT or ACT score you've submitted. So clearly, 
there's a lot of students that are not even getting to that level of comprehensive review. And again, the, there is so much evidence and research nationally that makes it very clear that high school GPA is the best predictor of student success, especially true for Latinx and Black students who may not score as well on a test. The report does point to what they say are a number of other things that have more of an impact on admissions than these tests. Lower high school graduation rates, lower rates of completion of the A2G course requirements, and lower application rates. And they, they're saying that accounts for 75% of the decision-making around admissions and that we need to be focusing on that. I'm assuming you'd say we need to focus on that as well. I think there are absolutely strong recommendations on the report that we support. We have spoken a, a lot about the importance of providing greater A through G access and preparation for students in high school. Uh, we know that there's huge inequality in access and preparation to A through G by race and income in our state. The report also recommends providing and expanding student support services. That's absolutely true, too. All of those things are, are necessary recommendations. They shouldn't be a crutch, however, for defending a multi-billion dollar testing industry that doesn't do the best job of identifying aptitude in a diverse population, which is what we have in California. The report also indicated, though, that there were potential problems if you went to the use of grades alone, that that in itself would create great inflation and, and there are problems that pure dependence on that would create. I don't agree with that. I think that's an argument that the testing industry has put out there uh, in order to defend the continued use of their tests. So it's not surprising that they would continue to make those arguments. There are researchers that have validated that across schools, across variation of schools and the experience that students have in those schools, high school GPA is still a strong predictor of college retention and completion. And those two are, in my opinion, much better and stronger measures of, of success than, than measuring first year university GPA, which the report spends quite a bit of time discussing. Michelle, where do you and the other many organizations who are very critical of the SAT and ACT go from here? Is this pretty authoritative report on the table. It's obviously going to carry quite a bit of weight in the debate. Do you think this is pushing the university sort of decisively in the direction of retaining these tests? Well, it's a preliminary report. I think, you know, they are obviously going to be receiving much more feedback before they submit a final report to the president of the university before she has the opportunity to make a recommendation to the university Board of Regents. And I think that, you know, some of the questions that we are raising around the review and analysis, around independence of the analysis, around transparency of this committee to engage experts more broadly, I think those are questions that, that Regents should be compelled to ask. The report also makes a strong case for the recommendation that we have concluded, which is that the UC should go test optional as thousands of other colleges and universities have done, and that that is the harder work, and we should move in that direction, even if it is the heavier lift for the University of California to do. 
Well, thank you so much. We've been talking with Michelle Sequeiros. She is executive director of the Campaign for College Opportunity. Look forward to staying in touch with you, Michelle, as this unfolds over the next several months. Me too. Thank you. So, John, obviously this doesn't appear to be a settled issue yet. It's going to be really interesting to see how the Board of Regents comes down on this. One of the things that the task force argued in its report was against using the smarter balance tests that high school students take in the 11th grade in place of the SAT and ACT. As many of you listening know, the smarter balance tests are those in math and English that are aligned with the common core standards. John, how did this idea come up in the first place about using the smarter balance as a college admissions test? Well, there's a lot of recognition, Lewis, that juniors take a lot of tests. They take ACT. They have to worry about advanced placement exams. So the feeling was, well, maybe there's a way that we can use the existing 11th grade smarter balance test to, for California students anyway, to decide whether that's an appropriate test. And then we could eliminate SAT and ACT. And also that uh, smarter balances are more aligned with the school curriculum. Uh, that was one of the arguments. That was one of the arguments. And SAT, of course, turned around and said, well, wait a minute, we're aligned with Common Core too. But that was a strong argument. And California is very influential in smarter balance. And Michael Kirst, the former president of a state board and former state superintendent Tom Torlickson, they were very into this idea and said, this should be studied. So why did the committee recommend against using the smarter balance in this way? Yeah, well, they looked at it and they came to that conclusion for a couple of reasons. One was security. The fact that the way we administer the test is over a period of time. Not everyone takes the same test on the same day. So the feeling that some of these questions could get out. Another reason is that you're going to turn, which is a low stakes test. Basically, it has no impact on individual students. Smarter balance is really a measure of how well your school is preparing you in the standards. You know, whatever score individuals get, they don't really matter. So we call it a low stakes test. If you're going to turn it into a high stakes test like the SAT, you're really going to change things. And you may get that same kind of test prep that you have with SAT. So you might turn around and do the same thing for a smarter balanced the other reason has to do with the, just the technical aspects of the test. They just felt that this was not designed for this purpose. It was designed for something else. And so it just wouldn't work out. They have real doubts about the quality, the number of questions that are given. There are lots of technical reasons. So they were very strong in not doing this. Well, one thing I can say for myself, I'm glad I'm not having to take these tests myself. I've suffered through both of my kids. Uh, when it is a high school senior waiting to hear whether she got into a UC campus, but uh, I wouldn't have done very well on the test, at least in its current forum. Well, still, you bring up SAT, my teeth start grinding, so it's been a long time, too. (laughs) Okay, post-traumatic stress, John. Well, that wraps it up for this week's podcast. Thanks to our sponsors, the S.D. Beckel Jr. Foundation and the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. Our producer is Kobe McDonald. Thanks, Kobe. Our music is from Nate Schwartz Jazz Orchestra and Ed Source's own Justin Allen. Please subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. I'm Lewis Friedberg. And I'm John Fensterwald. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week. <laughs>